I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So in this episode, I'm going to explain how desire works so that you can rise above it. You know, desire is what makes the world go round. But as we know, it also keeps us running in circles, making the same mistakes over and over again. Desire for the wrong things keeps us stuck in cycles of self-defeating behaviors. And recovery is really just about getting out of your own way. Sobriety from alcohol or any other dysfunctional coping mechanism is just a form of self-care. Once you take alcohol or whatever your bad habit was off the table, you realize that you've become really disconnected from yourself, who you really are and what you really want. You've become a bit of a slave to your basic urges and desires and instant gratification rules your day. You just do what's easiest and you're cutting corners. You care more about how things look and what other people think than how they actually feel to you. Really, so just that you don't draw attention to yourself. For me, my problem with alcohol really started when I was trading my integrity for drink tickets. I just stopped dealing with my problems or asking for what I really wanted or needed and alcohol became a consolation prize, a shitty one, but I was settling. Alcohol was a crutch that allowed me to keep going on autopilot and just doing what I thought I was supposed to do without questioning what I was really doing. Alcohol kept me from seeing the big picture. I was stuck in the day-to-day operations. Now that I'm in recovery, I can say that it's been self-care that has allowed me to reintegrate my mind and my body. I'm taking care of myself. You know, I'm the one human being that I'm 100% responsible for. I'm responsible for making sure that she gets enough sleep and making sure that I speak up on her behalf, even when it's uncomfortable. It's my job to honor what she's feeling, you know, my body. I have to give her space to process and make sense of things. It's my job to make sure she's okay and to give a shit when she's not okay. You know, these things are the job, my job as the owner of my body. And the more I do that, the more I feel like a whole person. Like I used to feel like there were separate versions of me, the rebellious side, the responsible one, The cocky and the confident gal versus the insecure and the anxious hot mess. (laughs) Now, my moods no longer dictate my behavior. I've learned so much. And for the first time in my adult life, I do know myself. I do take care of myself. I'm not afraid to be alone. I do feel like I'm my own best friend. I've been sober for two and a half years and I officially trust myself to make good decisions 
and more importantly, to self-correct when something isn't working as intended. I'm able to separate, you know, what I think I want from the experience that I'm having in pursuit of whatever it is I want and get off the hamster wheel long enough to course correct as needed. And in talking about how to know what you really want, it's important to start asking yourself, why do I want what I want? Because as a drinker, I would have told you that what I really want is to be able to control my drinking. I mean, really? That's like the thing that I was most obsessed with. I wanted to be a normal, quote, drinker as if there is such a thing, which there's not. But that was the the goal that I had. And that is not a fulfilling goal. You know, there's a reason why I felt so disconnected and like my life had no meaning or purpose because becoming a normal drinker, uh, as it was in my case, is not a purposeful and meaningful goal. So the first thing when you want to figure out what you really want is to ask yourself, why do I want what I want? And then even deeper is to go into who is generating my desire. We think that we are the author of our desire, but quite honestly, we're not. Um, there is a theory by Rene Girard. He was a French social theorist, um, and he was real active in the 20th century. He died in 2015, but he proposed mimetic theory, which basically uh, hypothesizes that most of our desires are just socially driven. It's things we've seen that we think other people want, so we want them too. You know, I love this quote by Oscar Wilde from the 18th century. You know, he did Dorian Gray, and he he has a quote that most people's opinions are just mimicking, mimicking other people's opinions. You know, we see other people say and do stuff and then we think that we want to do and say the same thing but in reality we got that idea from somebody else most of us are not unique or original thinkers and while we can have unique and original thoughts it's really important to know if the thoughts we're thinking are coming from someplace else and most of them are desire really is an intellectual appetite for things that you perceive to be good. But most of our desires have no physical or instinctual basis, and they aren't dependent on whether what we think we want is actually good for us or not. You know, it's an intellectual, thought-based, language-based feeling that's in our body. We might want to know certain answers. We want people to notice us. We want status and respect and options. You know, we like options. But these pleasures are intellectual. And ultimately, desire doesn't ever bring us joy because by definition, when we desire something, it's for something we don't have. And we can't know what having something will feel like until we actually experience it. And as we've all experienced, you know, that new car smell, proverbial or the real thing, wears off really fast. 
we think that when we, quote, get there, we're going to feel satisfied, but we never do. Getting what we think we want doesn't usually make us happy, at least not from the actual object that we were desiring. And any pleasure that we do get in the acquisition fades really quickly. And so understanding the mechanism for which desire takes shape inside of us will allow us to rise above our desires so we can choose them wisely and get off the hamster wheel of our basic urges. Gerard's mimetic theory says that we mimic our desires from the people and the culture around us. And that if we think that a certain item or experience or lifestyle is good, it's only because somebody else has modeled it in a way that appears good. Otherwise, how would we even know if we want it? So we have all this social in influence in, that comes from people in real life, celebrities, pop culture, also fiction and literature, and of course, social media. We don't really want something or we can't want something until we know it exists. We have to see it. And that's why if you, if you notice with marketing and advertising, they don't usually show the product. You know, as a drinker, I wasn't watching advertisements where uh, there was just a bottle of wine with, you know, pretty artwork on the label and that didn't make me want to buy it or to drink it. Advertisements show people who are either using the product or wanting to use the product. And that's where our little human brains that have evolved in tribes over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, our brains see other people using or doing something, then the idea comes into our brain and then we decide that if it's good for them, it's gonna be good for us. And so the mechanism to override your desires so that you can look to see what the actual root cause of the desire, where it's coming from, so that you can figure out what you really want the mechanism for that is awareness. And that starts by simply noticing the thought that's creating the feeling in your body of desire. Noticing the words of what you think you want, listening in on your own thoughts. You know, I often say with clients, the first step with awareness is to realize that you are the thinker of your thoughts, not your thoughts themselves and creating space for, um, for you to, to learn to listen to what you're thinking. Almost like your thoughts are actually like a radio station and you can change the channel, which you know that's another skill in and of itself, but just realizing that the thoughts that are coming into your head are not being generated from inside your soul. They're just a stream of consciousness, words floating through your brain. And so, capturing and placing your attention on the words and understanding where they're coming from is the key to taking control over them. And so the first thing you want to do is to identify uh, the people who, you're, who are influencing what it is that you think you want. 
you know, and I'll keep this kind of off of alcohol, but the basic desires of, you know, wanting a certain type of dog or uh, building a house in a specific location or traveling to a certain place that you've never even been or getting a degree or a job in a new field or, you know, buying an item of clothes or eye shit. You know, instead of asking what it is that you want, start by asking who gave you the idea for what you want. Where did the idea that this would be a good thing, where is that coming from? You know, and it's really probably not that complicated. I have this ongoing fantasy of living in the mountains. I think that I want to live in the mountains. I also think I want to live in a castle and be a reclusive writer, kind of like J.K. Rowling, but I do know that's crazy and I know damn well where that one comes from. But, you know, now that my kids are grown, my youngest is getting ready to graduate high school, I could kind of go anywhere, except I can't because I'm married and my husband has a job and he can't go anywhere, but I, I have this feeling that, you know, I could go anywhere. I've been a mom for 25 years and so... In my head, I envision myself in a small town, preferably also close to a beach, you know, like in the Pacific Northwest. But where does that come from? Is that from some, you know, where's the theory that I would be happy in a mountain town living in the Pacific Northwest? Where does that come from? Well, duh, it comes from fiction. Every book or movie or character in a book that I've ever loved often lives in places like that. So I've romanticized this idea that I want to live in the mountains. And to be fair, I do love the mountains. I do love to go to the mountains. Um, but the problem with this idea is that it makes me less happy about where I'm at today. You know, it's not that for sure it's a bad idea. Maybe I would be happier in the mountains. But because I'm thinking that and I'm feeling desire for living in the mountains, I constantly am looking around where I live in Flatland, Indiana, Indiana, and I'm thinking how much happier I would be, could be, if I could just get out of here. So while the desire to live in the mountains is not inherently wrong or right, it is creating dissatisfaction with my current life. And when I really kind of walk this back, you know, the truth is, like I said, I do love to go to the mountains. I love to hike and play in the woods. But that's not actually what I'd be doing most of the time, as I actually don't have a desire to be a forest ranger or take up backcountry camping. So my desire to live in the mountains is very intellectual and it's not really based in reality and to be truthful before i move on i did notice that my desire to live in the mountains was creating a lot of um just negativity about where i'm at and so i just started i, I set an intention to fix that it's not that i don't have a desire to live in the mountains but where I, what I have a desire more for is to love where I'm at. And so I've started making it a practice of walking outside every day and noticing things and beauty around me and appreciating nature right where I'm at. And to be fair, sometimes I pretend the clouds are mountain caps in the distance. And that actually gets me like 95% of the way to where I want to be mentally because it's all mental. 
you know, so this wasn't an overnight fix, but being aware that my desire for something was creating unhappiness uh, was really helpful. And it's also important to understand that our desires kind of exist on a spectrum. According to um, Gerard's theory, this mimetic theory, on one side of the desire spectrum, you have desires that are not imitating other people at all. You know, our basic desire to feel love and protect our children and live in a safe place and have enough money. All of those things are basic survival. Like it doesn't matter who you are or where you are, those desires are universal. Um, and then in the middle of the spectrum are the desires that are deeply rooted in our upbringing and also past experiences. So they're somewhat well-informed. So it, those desires might be a passion for something that feels like it's your purpose in life, you know, like starting a book or writing a book or starting a company or taking on a philanthropic project, you know, changing the world in some way or creating something that, you know, meets a, a need or a demand or creating something that's just art for the sake of creating it. Now, those desires are socially driven, meaning they really wouldn't exist out of context. You still have to know about them and see other people do them, but they're not inherently, you know, just completely uh, uh, somebody putting the thought into our brain. You know, obviously, if you're creative, then you look around for ways to express that creativity and then there's cool shit out there and you do it. It's the other end of the spectrum that you really want to be aware of. And that is that you need a certain brand of car or clothes um, or a prestigious set of credentials, a degree or a job or, you know, an address or something like that. Or, you know, certain travel locations that are on your bucket list. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter if the desire is mimetic uh, imitative, as Gerard calls them, it only matters that you are aware of the source of that desire so that you're not driven by unconscious urges. So again, the mechanism here is awareness. Awareness allows you to choose whether or not you pursue your desire. So for me, with the mountain thing, I became aware that that desire was creating discomfort in my current life. And I didn't dismiss it completely, but I dealt with the feeling that was coming up for me from the thought of, I don't want to live here. I want to live in the mountains. So also another thing with desire that's really helpful is to, to realize that your job with your desires is not to get to acquire, to achieve, but more about finding joy in the pursuit, you know, enjoying the journey. Because you, you have to understand that if the only thing you're focused on is what you're getting and you're miserable the whole time you get there, even once you get there, once you get what you want, it's only going to temporarily satiate your desire. Uh, because desire, again, doesn't go away when you have what you want desire continues and probably just transfers on to something else because by definition desire is for something you don't have so i'll give you another example um, of how i'm doing this right now i when i first started coaching i desired having a successful practice 
a, a successful business. I wanted to help people and more importantly, I wanted to get paid to help people. You know, I had been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years with my kids and my nest was emptying. Um, and not only did I know I needed to have a purpose and something else to focus on now that I'm not momming 24 seven, but I also wanted to feel like I was competent in the professional world. You know, the first five years of my coaching career, it was an expensive hobby. I spent more than I made on education. You know, I got a master's degree and I got extra credentials. And then I bought software to better serve my clients. And even as a drinker, I was a great coach, but it wasn't a sustainable business. And that was making me feel very, um, less than and incompetent. It was giving me a serious case of imposter syndrome. And so I thought that the answer to dealing with my feelings of being less than and having imposter syndrome was to have a successful practice, which of course doesn't build overnight. And so the whole time I was working towards my goal, I was experiencing a lot of frustration, you know, every obstacle that I came up against, I felt like I was being cut off from what I needed, blocked. I was locked out. I was being undermined. You know, when things don't work, if you if you work at all, well, of course you do probably, but online or any sort of IT, you know, doing all of this by myself, like every damn day something's not working, okay? And so I was experiencing not a lot of joy in going to work every day. I loved working with my clients, but coaching is only a fraction of what I need to do as a small business owner. There's marketing and, and social media and you know the website, having the courses that I've created and the technical aspects of emailing people. And you know, it, it's a lot. And so, in the first few months of getting this program going, I was just experiencing so many roadblocks. And then at some point, looking at what it is that I really want, what I realized was that I desired to have a successful coaching practice. That wasn't really a very good goal. That needed to be a side effect of my desire of my goal. And so I just changed a few words. And remember, our brains are language-based. We feel what we think. And so that's why it's so important to really get your journal out and start writing stuff down, you know, pull on the threads and follow them where they, where they go and get to the bottom of what it is you think and what it is you feel and what it is you think you want and what that thought is what results that thought is creating in your life. And so what I decided was my new goal was that I wanted to create a successful coaching business. So instead of having a successful practice, I wanted to be a creator. I wanted to enjoy the process. And just changing that allowed me to change how I show up. So now every time I encounter a problem, it feels more like a challenge. You know, just two weeks ago, my launch of to change your mind about alcohol 
fizzled because I later realized that 90% of my emails are going directly to spam. So barely anybody saw my beautiful offer that I had spent so much time putting together. But instead of feeling defeated, because I'm here to create a successful coaching practice, I showed up completely differently. I didn't see it as a failure or a, a block. I saw it as an opportunity. And I thought, oh good, I get to figure this out. You know, someday this is gonna make a great story. Someday I'm gonna be able to help somebody else who's experiencing this same situation with the spam filters that are crazy. Um, which I appreciate a good spam filter, but for me in my inbox, most of the stuff I get is spam in my regular box and I have to go to my spam box to get all the stuff that I actually signed up for. But whatever, I digress. So I also realized that, you know, I'm still small. I've only got 25 clients. Better to do it now with a smaller email list and a smaller client clientele than to have grown to hundreds or thousands, you know, and same thing with this podcast. It took me a month to figure out how to, you know, use to record the podcast and to edit the podcast and then how to connect with Apple and Spotify and publish on another platform and all the logistics just to connect with people, just to make this professional. It took me a month and I thought about it for a year. So does that count? I don't know. But instead of seeing that month as a setback or as a holding zone, I just started recording extra podcasts. And by the time I got the okay from Apple and God and everybody else who has to approve shit these days, I had 22 episodes in the can. And I felt so good about that because now if somebody finds my podcast, there's more than, you know, four or five episodes. They can really dive in, find content that's useful, subscribe, you know, they know they want to come back. And, and it's, yeah, they, they want to come back. And so I changed the goal from having a successful coaching practice to creating a, a successful practice. And so now every time I come against something that's, that seems to be a block, first I cry, that's true, or I experience frustration. And then I remember that, that I'm, I'm here to get joy out of this. My goal in creating a, sex, a successful practice is to develop my own resilience, to uh, expand my emotional intelligence, to practice non-attachment to the results. You know, what's that saying that happiness equals reality minus our expectations? You know, I wanna live and manage reality and not constantly be disappointed by what I told myself I thought I wanted based on what I thought everybody else already has that, of course, anybody that's got anything that I think I want, they didn't show up on day one and just get that. You have to work for it. So I had the desire to become a person who shows up and makes the effort even when it's hard and that I don't get knocked down and out or, you know, cry in my oatmeal for too long. You know, you got to feel and process your feelings. And I take a lot of breaks and I practice self-care. But ultimately, my goal, what I really desire is to be a strong, experienced, 
confident person who currently lives in Indiana and is happy about it and who is building a practice that will eventually be financially viable because I'm consistent and I'm persistent and I'm doing my very best and using all of the, the things that I'm going through every single day as just exercises. I'm using my life to practice living my best life and being myself, my best self, right where I'm at. So I'll leave you with just a few things um, as you explore your own desires. And I encourage you to do this with a journal um, because there is something, well, it's very evidence-based that shows when you, especially write with, a, with your hand, but, you know, I do some journaling on my computer as well, but writing with your hand, it really gives you access into your subconscious because it does slow down your thought processes. It also blocks a little bit of disruption because now instead of just sitting there thinking where you can get so easily distracted, your hand is writing. There's a whole three-dimensional experience, okay? But I encourage you to, to journal and ask yourself, um, you know, what it is that you currently think you want. And then ask yourself who generated the desire in you? Where is it coming from? the people, the culture, specifically. Get as specific as you can. Like who told you this was a good idea to want whatever it is you think you want? Including things like, I want everybody to like me or I want everybody to approve of me or I want to make other people happy. Where does that come from? Those two are also thoughts, okay? Not necessarily reality. And then once you figure out what it is that you think you want, and you're clear on what, you, what it is you think you want, you know, what's in your subconscious that's driving your behavior, ask yourself if that desire is worth pursuing. You know, does it align with your values? One question that is really helpful is to ask, you know, if I get what I want in this situation and, and what am I willing to sacrifice to get, to it, get it, will I be proud? of my efforts and this accomplishment on my deathbed. Does it even matter in the big scope of life? And then a really important question, which is where I had to fine tune my goal and change the word having a successful practice to creating a successful practice, is to ask yourself how you can pursue the desire without feeling restless and agitated, you know, upset, that you aren't there yet. What is it that you want to experience in the process of pursuing the goal of wanting what you want? And before we wrap up, I will just say that this isn't usually an overnight uh, transformation in, in your mind. You know, it's, it's a process. And so you might even just set your first desire to learn how to figure out what you want and learn how to evaluate your desires so you know if they're worthy of pursuit. And you will have little aha moments. I've had little aha moments, but it does take time. You know, becoming the person who you want to be takes practice. You don't just wake up one morning and have all your shit together. In fact, the person who you want to be will be the type of person who knows how to 
get your shit together when it is not together and be okay when your shit's not together. You know, there is no arrival point where you have it all figured out. Um, there are, I can look back at how far I've come and I certainly feel like I have it more figured out than I used to. I, I have a lot more clarity in who I am and what I want, but it is an evolution. And ultimately I'm always evolving and I'm always having to reevaluate what I'm doing. It truly is about the journey, not the destination. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.